Tenakoto, Tefano, O Auckland Unitarians. Tenakoto na Manuhiri. No mai harimai ki tene fare karakia o teatua. Ko jandaleo toko inwa. Norera tenakoto, tenakoto, tenatato katoa. Morning, everyone. Welcome to everyone from near and far to this physical space made sacred by Auckland Unitarians since 1901, as well as to our virtual sanctuary. Welcome also to those watching the recording at a later time. My name's John DeLeo, and I'll be leading our service today. The words of welcome I selected are by Dan Lambert. You are welcome here, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what your background. You are welcome here to join us as we proclaim worth in our spiritual journeys. You are welcome to join us as we sing songs that uplift our very beings. You are welcome to join us in community as we learn, live, and love together. All are welcome as we worship that which gives us meaning and value. No matter what you call this building, this hour, or this gathering of people, we worship as one body illuminated by the light of the chalice. The opening words I've selected for this morning are by Joe Von Rue and Lynette Lowe. Welcome to this space, this sanctuary of peace, where we come to not only create our best selves, but to also do the work of creating a beloved community. We come together today as individuals, much like individual pieces of glass or pottery that are different shapes, sizes, and colors, all of which are broken with imperfect jagged edges, but always beautiful. While our pieces may not always fit neatly together, it is within this sanctuary, guided by our principles, that we gather together to create a beautiful mosaic. May the brokenness and beauty you find in one another create peace in this space and fill our hearts with love as we create worship together. In this free church, we come together without creed, focusing instead on the core values of justice, equity, and compassion, of mutual acceptance of our diverse ways of being as we seek to connect ourselves more fully with the unfolding truths of life and of our world. We come together in shared conviction that all people deserve a voice in matters that concern them and that it is up to each of us to protect the rights of all, particularly those who, for whatever reason, have long been held in silence. We come together in the stubborn belief that community is possible and that peace is more than a dream. We commit together to affirm in our actions, as well as our words, the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. We come together in awareness of our interdependence with all humanity and with the wider web of existence, for that too is part of what is meant by 
we. In this free church, we come together without creed, believing that the way we live in the world bears testimony to the value of our beliefs. We light this chalice as a beacon of hope for who have gathered here this day, for all who have ever walked through our doors, for those who may yet find this spiritual home, and for those whose paths will never come our way. For all this, and for all those things we dare to hope and dream, we kindle our chalice flame this day. Please join with me in affirming the covenant of our congregation. Love is the doctrine of this church. The quest for truth is the sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge in freedom, to serve humankind in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony. Thus do we covenant with each other and with our God. At the end of October, I traveled to Washington, D.C. to attend the OWASP Global AppSec Conference. On the Sunday before the conference, I had the opportunity to attend the first ever Threat ModCon, a one-day mini-conference focused on threat modeling. At that event, I was privileged to hear a presentation by Avi Duglin. Avi is a leader of the OWASP Israel chapter and a member of OWASP's global board. He's a security consultant and threat modeling practitioner and is one of the signatories on the Threat Modeling Manifesto, which was created and published in 2020. Avi's presentation was titled, The Threats to Our Community, and I'm going to share with you much of the content from that talk. As I listened that day, I immediately realized that the threats he spelled out and the countermeasures he recommended would apply to any community that relies on mutual trust and respect to function, communities like ours. So I asked for a copy of his slide deck to use in a future talk at church. He was kind of surprised by the request, but he agreed right away. In October, Avi spoke for an hour. I'm gonna try to do his ideas justice in 20 minutes, give or take. We'll see how that goes. Before I begin though, I need to provide a general content warning. While I won't be going into the details of any, I will be naming many abusive behaviors. If this could be triggering for you, you're welcome to remove yourself from this space to protect your well-being. So first, a little bit of a prelude. This is, was not part of Avi's talk because everyone in the room knew the answer to this question. But first, what is threat modeling? Well, I guess the term is self-defining. It's modeling the threats to a system, and more importantly, how you're going to protect against and respond to those threats. So this is a common thing in IT system design. But you can threat model anything that you're trying to create. Adam Shostak has been a leading practitioner in threat modeling for pretty much this entire century. And he 
proposed this four questions framework, which he first instituted at Microsoft. So the first question is, what are we building? You describe and model whatever the thing is you're creating or, or trying to manage or maintain. And then you ask the question, what could go wrong? For each of the things you identify that could go wrong, you then say, well, how are we going to deal with that? We could put things in to protect against it, to respond to it, to recover from it. But it's basically for every threat you identify, you identify the countermeasures that you're going to use to reduce the risk of that threat harming the thing. And then in the end, you ask the question, well, how good a job did we do? Does, is our model correct? Did we represent the right things? Have we made the right decisions? Are the actions we've chosen to take effective? So this is what my day job is all about now. I sell a tool for doing this. So as Avi was talking about this, and I, I was thinking about, well, threat modeling in a community, that makes a lot of sense, because you're trying to build something, a community. And then there are things that could go wrong, which would harm the community. And there are things we can do to protect against that. So that's what he presented. And I'm going to rip through his slides, since I've got way more slides than I could talk to effectively in 20 minutes. And then we'll go into a discussion about how we could act on this here in our community. So first, Avi is a really big fan of Tigger. It shows up in all of his stuff. Not just Tigger, a lot of Winnie the Pooh, but mostly he sort of, see, I guess, um, what's the right word? Identifies with Tigger. So we talked about threat modeling. And then the fact that we have as an objective community building. Now, he was talking about the global threat modeling community, and in particular, the OWASP threat modeling community, but it's true of any community. So if we were to threat model what's going on in that community, then it would help us build a secure community. He put up this image which relates to a classic operations research story, which I heard when I was in graduate school. And I'm still not entirely sure if it's true, but it makes sense. During World War II, a team of operations researchers in the UK were doing extensive analysis to try to decide where they should improve the armor on aircraft. So every time a bomber would return from a run, they would carefully examine every place where the plane had been hit and carefully catalog that. And they were starting to try to decide how to use their weight budget to add armor in the places where the planes had been shot. Finally, someone said, um, these are the planes that made it back. So shouldn't we be paying attention to the places where we've never seen a surviving aircraft hit? Because it would seem that being hit in those places mean you don't survive. And that's what they did. So in this case, you can see around the mid-wing fuel tanks and the engines. They never saw anti-aircraft penetrations in those spots. And then when you think about it, well, obviously, if you take an anti-aircraft round in the middle of your mid-wing tank, 
you're probably not coming back. Now, if you take that analogy to a community, the hits are the threats and bad behaviors we find out about. The places that we never know about hits are where someone in our community is threatened or harmed, and then they leave. So we never find out about it. So one of, the, one of the principles of the Threat Modeling Manifesto is that threat modeling is something that everyone can and should be doing. You don't need any special expertise. You don't have to be a senior security consultant making some outrageous consulting rate to be able to do threat modeling. Everyone can do it. If you're concerned about privacy, safety, and security in your system, then you can and should threat model. And threat modeling really is about everyone. So then you tuck it into the sense of community. So what is a community? It's a group with a feeling of fellowship, sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. And they have some particular characteristic in common. So for us, the seven principles, um, currently, we have certain racial characteristics in common, um, a certain age distribution in common. Maybe that's not what we want, but that's what we're seeing at the moment. And well, you have to have memes in a, in a good presentation, right? So if you haven't watched The Good Place, it is tremendously fun. And uh, his character, I can't remember the character's name right off the right off my head, tip of my tongue, but incredibly anxious, always worrying about things, and um, he wrote his PhD dissertation that apparently was like 1,400 pages long, which I was afraid mine would be, so I identify with him a little bit. Principles of community, so of sustaining a community, being being a good member. Follow the rules, help each other, make sure everyone has a chance to contribute, their contributions are recognized and valued, and everyone is expected to contribute in the ways they can. Even if that is by sitting in the audience and smiling and nodding so that the speaker doesn't feel like he doesn't know what he's talking about. And all members are important. Now, in threat modeling of a system, we talk about the components and the data flows between them, the interactions. If you think about a web application, when you click submit on a form, then some data are sent to a server somewhere. So that's what we tend to model in an IT system. But if you think in a community, instead of data flows, We've got value flows and contributions and benefits, and we have the relationships among members, the power dynamics. Some individuals are vulnerable. Some aren't going to follow the rules and will themselves present threats. Some people just are on the sidelines and are not supportive. 
they're not intentionally or even accidentally directly harmful, but they're also not helping. So we need to worry, we need to consider the community insider threats as well as those external threats. And then stride is the, I believe the next slide. Nope, not yet. Um, George Box is a statistician or was a statistician, really well known, published prolifically and I believe it was the 40s and 50s. And at one point at a, he made this public statement that, well, all models are wrong. Because every time you create a model, you're simplifying things, you're making assumptions. You know, seismic models and volcanic models and atmospheric models and threat models are wrong. We know they're wrong. But they can still be useful. So accept that it's going to be somewhat wrong and focus on the usefulness. Now this is a, a piece of information that he pulled from a study done by Stanford in 2018. And this is on online malfeasance. So online bullying and flame wars and, and the stuff that goes on in the online space. And about three quarters of all conflict online can be attributed to about 1% of the community. So it doesn't take that many bad actors to really spoil your day. So now, stride. Again, this has been around for a long time. When Adam put forward the threat modeling approach that they used at Microsoft, and which I, I teach in my training, it's based on Adam's work. They recommend using this mnemonic to help you think of threats. So spoofing, tampering, repudiation, information disclosure, denial of service, elevation of privileges, which in a community we could map to identity, threats against identity, both of the community and of individuals. For tampering, integrity, maligning messages or eroding trust in members. Repudiation, so threats against believability or provability. Information disclosure, so breaking confidentiality, breaking someone's trust. Denial of service, in this case, a lot of the threats he talks about, and there's a slide for each of these, or denial of access, preventing commun a community member from being able to participate fully. And then elevation of privileges is abusing authority or claiming unmerited authority. So in attacking identity, he talks about claiming expertise you don't have, um, speaking with unearned confidence, Stealing credit for someone else's work and ideas. Um, and you'll notice one of the things that we do, especially when we print the transcripts from our services, is to make sure we credit all of the words that are not ours. Misgendering or dead naming. So if someone identifies differently from their birth gender and or their birth name, choosing not to honor that. 
identity injection, or stereotyping, so projecting onto a community member what you think they must be and treating them that way. And uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to help the good guy pretense. On attacking integrity, he talks about um, vendor control. So here in a community like this, using a position of authority in order to steer business toward uh, preferred vendor or you know, friends and family discount kind of stuff, passing work on to somebody that you know, you're buddies with. So use, using your position in the community to benefit yourself or some associate. Misdirecting funds, distributing or repeating misinformation. I'm not sure we're gonna do a whole lot of deep fakes here, but that is, it's something that could be done to us. We have video content online. Someone could deep fake one of our videos and have a service leader saying something outrageous. And then say, oh, those, those Unitarians in Auckland, look at the awful things they say. Good old mansplaining, which I am not going to explain. <laughs> On repudiation, attacking provability, so lack of transparency. If the activities and business activities, business functions of the organization are hidden from view, done in the back room, you know, back door handshake agreements, so that the broader community lacks trust in your actions. Gaslighting, weaponized banter. Now this, of course, in particular, can happen in online chats. It can also happen during morning tea, where someone can make an offhand comment that's actually quite hurtful, whether or not they mean it to be. Discounting individuals' lived experience. And then when he put DARVO up, I was like, what? But apparently it's a well-known acronym for deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. So if someone, Trump, Trump yeah. Um, but it, so if someone does something that is harmful to you and you call them out on it and then they make it about you. Attacking secrecy, so outing someone, doxing, stalking. Oh, doxing is um, when you obtain personal documents. So, um, name and address information, get a hold of their lease agreement, get a hold of, of information about the person. And then, as part of telling a hostile community this person should be targeted, you give them all that information. The extreme case of that, which occasionally happens in the US, is swatting, where you actually call the police and say that the person is an active armed threat, so a SWAT team busts down their door. Special weapons and tactics, the very militarized police. Um, there are some online activists who have been swatted 
10, 12 times. They move, they have to change their address, they hide their phone number, and then the hostile community still finds out the information and calls the police again. And of course, there's, I assume the hostile community is always hoping they'll end up being shot in the process. Sharing non-consensual photos or um, non-consensual sharing of anything that they reveal in confidence. So taking something that's from a closed chat and republishing it in an open forum, for example. Now attacking access, exclusion, gatekeeping. Um, so there, there's a good bit of, of gatekeeping that goes on in various social justice communities where some members of the community are concerned about making sure that you're, you're worthy of being a part. And so we want to make sure that we're not doing that. Discrimination. And then flooding designated spaces. This has happened a lot in information technology and information security events. So if there's an event and then they try to have, say, a women in security special event, we're going to, the women, of which is in information security is about 10% of the community, are going to go have dinner together. Now technically, the event cannot be discriminatory, so men can't technically be excluded, so then men will just flood all the spaces and prevent women from being able to take part. It's a common behavior in a lot of um, toxically masculine communities. So the gaming community, the game development community, for example. And then all those little microaggressions. So you can think of those as a distributed denial of service attack. Every time someone in the community does a little slight against you until they build up and make you feel completely unwelcome. Now, around elevation of privilege, so if someone is elevating their privileges, that means that they're overriding or bypassing the permissions they're supposed to have. So we're attacking consent. Harassment, unwanted physical contact, violence and assault, both verbal and physical. Abusing power. Serial misbehavior. So you have someone who does something harassing to one person, maybe gets told off for it, and then a couple weeks later they do the same thing to a different person. And each time it's not that huge, like that's, it's not a, an expulsion offense, but it just keeps happening. Um, in, in the Linux community, so Linux is an open source operating system, the initial creator of Linux has been excluded from the community for serial misbehavior. He's no longer welcome to be part of the Linux community because of his behavior. And then abuse can escalate. Um, and that's especially true when coupled with stalking behavior. That 
stalking often involves some imagined relationship. And as they feel like the relationship is not reciprocal, they get more and more upset and hostile. So then the abuse escalates. So in the threat modeling community and in the manifesto, it talks about a key goal is to establish a culture of fixing issues. So we have that nice long list of, of horrible things that someone either inside or outside the community could do or try to do to us, to disrupt us, to hurt us. So we want to fix those. So on the preventive side, we can have a policy and a process for banning bad actors, for removing risky activities. This is a reason why a lot of organizations don't have cocktail hours anymore. You know, that you have a cocktail hour with an open bar and three or four drinks in, inhibitions go away, and bad behavior surface. Having mental health support, people you can talk to, supportive professionals that can be turned to. On the detective side, monitoring, something which we can all do. Maintaining awareness of situations, making sure that our volunteers and leaders are trustworthy. Things we can do administratively, have an established code of conduct, a process and policy that talks about how to address misconduct. And I was trying to find what IH stands for, and I wasn't able to find it. <laughs> so when he says IH playbooks, I'm not sure exactly what he's referring to. Um, sorry? It might be industrial health. So if you're thinking in an employment situation, um, and this is, well, like I said, he, he's in Israel. He's from, I think, the northeastern US. So somewhere from his background, he just assumed everybody would know that. And then ensuring consistency of results. This is important. Making sure that the experience of members of the community, experiences of different members of the community, don't differ. So if one person does something that violates our code of conduct, there's a response. And then if someone else does the same thing four months later, they see an equivalent response. Environmentally, making sure we have a diverse community and that all of the various communities in our larger community have a voice and representation. Establishing cultural norms. Establishing, voicing, and living our shared values and strengthening community bonds. And that's all about allies. So now he has lots and lots of slides about allies, but I'm gonna jump all the way to the summary because it's already been 20 minutes. I like this one though, allies don't demand cookies. So, um, if you're expecting to be continually recognized and praised for doing what you should be doing anyway, that's not cool. Um, it's about harm reduction. 
expelling known abusers and threat actors, and then great line from the first Harry Potter book. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. And when he said this, I was like, yeah, I can relate. When should I show up? When should I stand up? When should I speak up? And when should I just shut up? And then we will make mistakes. So we should accept criticism and try to be better. So, of course, at a threat modeling event, you're gonna say threat model everything. But when you think about it, we should, in our lives, in our communities, in the business operations of this congregation, we should be threat modeling everything. What could go wrong and what can we do to prevent or recover from it? Stop caring. Start doing. And so there was the, the summary. So this was all of those previous slides. Allies, listen. Speak up. Help all be heard and amplify the marginalized. Use power, privilege, and authority for good. Work in public and private to affect change. Insist on proper controls, such as code of conduct and diversity and inclusion policies. Don't demand cookies respect attention. Focus on harm reduction. Expel known abusers and actors. Hold them, allies should hold themselves and each other accountable. Know when to show up, when to shut up, when to speak up, when to stand up. Be intersectional in your thinking and accept criticism and try to be better. Okay, I actually managed to get through that. And I know I, I didn't get in here and, and espouse any philosophy or um, explain things in great detail, but there's a lot of food for thought in that presentation. And as he was talking about it, and, he, and like I said, he was, he was addressing the first ever global threat modeling conference and saying, we need to be concerned about this in our community. John, can you stop speaking? Yes, I can. So as he was, and like I said, just as he was presenting this, I was like, this is relevant. We should talk about this at church. So now we are. Thank you all for your time and attention. Thank you. That makes sense. So an IH playbook is probably an incident handling playbook. So it's, if an incident occurs, what is our pre-planned response to it? You work through it. When you create a playbook, you work through it, you draft it, you workshop it, you test it, you practice, you make sure that all of the incident response players know exactly what their role is. I mean, an example here would be if, if we were to have someone attend, join the service and then become disruptive, belligerent, heckling the speaker, um, possibly even physically harassing another person in the congregation. What's our plan for responding to that? 
I don't think we have one. And when there is no plan, there's very often no action because nobody knows what they should do. Should I step up? Should I take the lead? Is someone else going to deal with this? So thank you. Thank you, Alice. And with that, we will conclude our service. Now please join with me as we say the words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we are together again. For my closing words, I've chosen a selection by Andrea Hawkins Camper, which I think I've used before, but it's apt. May we see all as it is, and may it all be as we see it. May we be the ones to make it as it should be, for if not us, who? If not now, when? The, this is answering the cry of justice with the work of peace. This is redeeming the pain of history with the grace of wisdom. This is the work we are called to do, and this is the call we answer now. To be the barrier and the bridge. To be the living embodiment of our principles. To be about, to be about the work of building the beloved community. To be a people of intention and a people of conscience. For our discussion today, I am not going to ask you to divide into small groups or ask Kate to set up breakout rooms for online participants. Instead, I would like for us to do something we haven't done in, in quite a while, have a whole group discussion. Our topic for this discussion is this, taking into account all aspects of our life together, what can we do? to identify and respond to threats to this community's well-being. 